Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, folks. It's Monday, January 27th. We're broadcasting again live, this time from the American Airlines Admiral Club in Austin, Texas. Big shout-out to the Admiral's Club folks here. They, have, they knocked themselves out to get this myself all set up here, so thank you to the staff here for an awesome job. We've got a great program lined up. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about every program. You said, Dave, you're always excited about your programs. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited because, we, have, of course, we have the regulars on here. Of course, Paul Mallow's out here, and he's waiting to come on. I just see he's dialed in. So we're going to have him on in the broadcast. But David Stevens, president of the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, will be our special guest during the Hot Topics segment. A lot of questions. A lot of people are looking at the uncertainty as we look into this next to this year, 2014. What will it hold? Well, David's going to be answering a lot of questions about that. And I, I think you're going to be very encouraged with the response. I am so pleased that we have a guy like David Stevens at the NBA, not only at the NBA, but leading in many ways behind the scenes so many things related to housing policy and mortgage policy. Folks, you're not going to want to miss this broadcast. Anytime we have him on, it's one of the most downloaded broadcasts we have uh, that we do. But it's good to have David Stevens on a little bit later on the broadcast. We've got tens of thousands of you. I cannot believe how many people are dialing in from all over the United States. Thank you so much. We've got Mary Kay. I got to talk to her just briefly when she dialed in. She was in early, so I turned on her mic. I love talking to you guys if you dialed in early. But I'm scanning up and down the switchboard literally from all corners of the country are dialed in and listening with telephones, not to mention the thousands that are listening via the website. Thank you so much for making this a part of your professional life to find out what's going on in the industry. I always say we have the leaders listening to the industry because why would you take time, if you're into this just for making money for a short term, why would you take the time to be get smarter what's going on? It's the leaders that listen to this broadcast, so you identified yourself as a leader by tuning in each and every week. Excited about many things. We're going to be talking about the Mortgage Action Alliance. If you're not signed up for it, folks, go out to the MBA website. I'm pushing that hard because you do not have to be a member of the uh, MBA, although you should be, but you don't have to be, to join up for the Mortgage Action Alliance. Absolutely get there. Special thank you to United Guarantee, who is for the second year our leading sponsor of the radio broadcast. Special thank you to them. If you haven't already done so, download a listen to the broadcast where we uh, had David Bergstrom from the from the United Guarantee, on talking about QMI, which is the qualified mortgage insurance product that they're using to make sure that you are in compliance with QM, the qualified mortgage of the new rules. So it's exciting to see what some of the things that you've got going. Go out to their website. You can go there by going to www.ugcorp.com, or you can go to our website, lickingonlending.com. Click in the upper right-hand corner on their logo and uh, their ad. You will be taken directly to their website. Get a hold of one of the United guarantee residential insurance company representatives out there mortgage insurance underwritten by united residential insurance company serving our industry for over 50 years outstanding thank you united guarantee also thank you to joe allison everyone who makes this broadcast possible each and every week let's run over to joe far see what's going on joe good to have you with us 
saw the housing, the existing home sales. I'm on your website, Joe. I'm looking at the existing home sales. Came in at 414,000, projected to be 415. A little bit of a disappointment there. Talk to us. What the markets are are predictably reacting to it. Well, they're down a bit. Are, are you getting my? Uh, yeah, I'm looking at this. I, I, I you know, the, though it isn't predictable. I would have thought this would be heading the other way. Yeah, uh, hey Dave, which uh, which phone are are you? Uh, I have you live on your office line. You want to right, go to my cell because it's it's been uh, digitized. Yes, please. All right, switch into your cell phone. We got those issues from time to time, so you're on your yeah. cell phone now. All right. Okay. Yeah, Dave. Uh, MBS prices. You know, that most of the morning they were holding uh, pretty steady between, you know, down uh, flat to break even from where the end of the day on Friday. They've just dropped lower though. I, d- I don't know what just watching uh, it. What event caused that? But we're now down uh, five thirty seconds on the day. Uh, you know, and, and you know, given the the news as you were saying, new home sales came in weaker than expected. You might have expected a, an improving price, but uh, we had yeah. such a a nice movement in prices last couple of days, Thursday and Friday last week, that maybe that muted the the reaction today. Yeah, there was a. Is we've been on interest rates have been sliding for the last couple of weeks. Now, I mean, not tremendously, but they've been just trending lower and lower and lower. Except for when we got the uh, China, you know, labor or the production economic report kicking up global concerns about economic growth. So it's interesting to yeah, see well, that, what's that going on. That helped a lot. Yeah, that was real interesting. Um, and then also, I think we're looking anyway. I'm looking at your notes here. I got so much we want to get through. So go ahead and run yeah, through what you've got right, for right. us. Yeah, last week we we saw a nice improvement after the uh, weak uh, Chinese PMI. Um, it it pushed prices, MBS prices higher Thursday and Friday, uh, caused the stock market to fall substantially. Yeah. Uh, the Dow lost about uh, 500 points on Thursday and Friday combined. And what what that did was it 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 just put a little weakness into uh, everyone's. Mind as far as global economic growth goes, and and there are a number of com- countries that have you know, are kind of teetering on the edge, meaning that they have yeah. uh, overextended themselves. They have lots of debt, and they really need strong economic growth to to work their way out of it. Countries like Argentina and Bra- Brazil and India and Turkey and South Africa, to name a few. Uh, there was uh, is concern that if if we don't have strong growth. Uh, these countries may have a, have a tough time. So that was why it, it caused such a big stir in the stock market on Thursday and Friday and, and why we lost uh, 500 points there, and we gained about a half a point in MBS prices. So, You know, uh, Joe, I was listening to uh, some reports out of Davos, Switzerland, and Bill Gates was interviewed and said that he sees – I see the report about the you know the emerging markets, and especially countries like you just mentioned, struggling and with their currency. And then I listened to Gates uh, being interviewed, and he said he believes there's going to be very few poor countries by 2035. Now, it's an interesting that he would come up with that date and what the significance – that's a fair amount of time out there. But yeah. that's, that's quite a bold statement. So interesting reports poor are coming out of Davos. Do they go away or do they uh, earn well, their way out of it? He did not say why there would be fewer. He did not say uh, why, but it does cause you to wonder. That was my first question. What's the driving factor that's going to cause these these emerging markets to be fewer of them? So do they evaporate? Right. Do the market? We, we hope and pray that it's for, for good reasons. But uh, anyway, one week, we got a busy week this week. Look, compared yeah. to last week, we had nothing on the economic calendar. 
this week we got the Fed meeting. It starts tomorrow oh, yeah. and uh, comes out on on third on Wednesday at two o'clock. A statement will be released, uh, and quite frankly, there's not a lot expected from the statement. No real significant surprises are expected. However, this recent issue with global economic growth and the concerns about the currency exchanges and the and the, the countries in in difficult situations uh, has put a little spice into it. Maybe uh, maybe there'll be some something different coming out of the Fed, but uh, uh, not expected. Not expected. Yeah, not expected. Uh, yeah. Uh, Fed, yeah, Fed is focused on U.S. By, uh, yeah. Go oh, sorry. Well, that's that's kind of it's interesting you say that because that's that's what uh, the implications are from the Fed is hey we're going to do what we need to do for our country. Yep. Well, we've All got right, the central then, bank uh, in Europe and got other things, other ones reacting to those issues. So I think it's. I'm glad to see they're going to be focused on home. Okay. So looking at right. the rest of your notes here. Fourth quarter GDP comes out on Thursday. First look at the fourth quarter. Uh, consensus calling for a three percent annual growth rate. And then other um, news: uh, durable orders tomorrow. Jobless claims and pending home sales on Thursday. Uh, personal income, core PCE, and Chicago PMI on Friday. And then Treasury auctions Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So, pretty busy week. Uh, big thing, busy though, week. obviously, is the Fed meeting. The big deal. We always pay attention what coming there in the transition now into Janet Yellen, although she's not really coming into her own until February. But but you know what's interesting? You turned me on to the JOLTS report. Actually, it was you reporting that Janet Yellen talked about the JOLTS. I've been studying that. That is really, I think, a better indicator than jobless claims um, because the number of people leaving the workplace. So it's going to be interesting. So, folks, if you didn't go back and you haven't heard Joe talk about the JOLTS, Job Openings and Labor Turnover Survey, uh, very interesting economic um, number to be looking for. I'm trying to think of the right word. Right. Joe, Joe, thank you so much. I'm sitting here looking at your website. If everyone else had your service, they'd be sitting here watching the market tick. And you know, if you take your, glance, your eye away from it for a minute, and I thought, well, no big reaction. And then I go, whoop, there is a reaction. Not one we anticipated. Now we're down so, six now. Now we're down six. <laughs> See where it goes. <laughs> Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief word. Joe, good to have you. And remember, we got David Stevens later in the broadcast. Paul Mall will be coming up right after the break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market. Whether you're in the office or on the road, see for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' Out Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us. I realize I'm scrambling to turn on Paul Mallow's mic. You know, we were talking about things getting spiced up, Paul, a little bit, thinking about that Wendy's burger where they're adding some more spice to it. I don't need more spice in my life. i got enough of that. But you always spice up what's going on, and I'm looking at your website right now, and one of the things that leaped off the page is, uh, again, folks, I'm talking about the imfnews.com website. If you haven't checked up, signed up for it, do so. 
But I'm looking at your article, Paul. Is Flagstar a takeover target? Question mark. Wow. I want to talk more about the Wendy Spice Burger, but uh, <laughs> I want to talk about. <laughs> I didn't hear about the Wendy Spice Burger. Um, no, uh, seriously. Uh, listen, um, you know I, I track mortgage stock prices all the time to see what's going on. You know, a lot of a lot of these stocks, uh, you know, aren't doing so hot. Um, oh, like Nation Star, uh, for example, it keeps hitting a 52-week low. Um, you know, PHH and Flagstar are holding up pretty good. Uh, and there's a report out by a research firm uh, called Compass Point, which was, you know, sort of waxing poetic about Flagstar. Uh, they had strong earnings, but uh, quite a bit of it was tied to a big tax reversal and DTA and all that other sort of neat stuff. But it's no secret that Flagstar is profitable again. Uh, they're selling, they're servicing, they're they're entering into subservicing arrangements. They still want to service, but they don't want to, you know, they don't want to own the strip per se. Uh, and let's face it, they, they almost, you know, sort of almost went under three, four, five years ago, yeah. uh, and they got sold to a hedge fund. And, and let's face it, hedge funds, you know, do not keep stuff forever. And I think yeah, part of the speculation on their part is that uh, the hedge funds uh, that controls like 60% of the stock uh, which is called Maitland Patterson, by the way, is the hedge fund or the PE fund. You know, they're going to want to sell. And, and, you know, so we picked up on that report. We've been looking at PHH and we've reported on, you know, whether PHH is, is in play or whether it's, it, it's strictly a case of, uh, you know, investors seeing an undervalued stock and driving up the price. And I, and I guess the next question is why are these things, some of these undervalued, is because servicing rights have, have gone up phenomenally in the last 18 months in value. Right. Uh, I mean, as you know, you get you guys, your business, David, you and uh, Chuck are in that selling companies, and uh, you guys more than anyone knows that uh, MSR values are, and you know what drives these deals now. And if you don't have those servicing licenses, don't you know, don't even bother trying to sell your company if you're production only. Yeah. Um, yeah. True. So the worm is turning, so to speak. We also John Bancroft crunched the numbers on. Mortgage banking earnings in the fourth quarter for 17 depositories that we track. You know, everyone knows, you know, earnings were down, but they weren't really down that much. Uh, yeah, I found, yeah. I found, I found that encouraging. Yeah. You know, gain on sale was, you know, weaker, but not as weak as people thought. Uh, people are, I guess, you know, making money on servicing. I mean, lower delinquencies, more better servicing income. Yeah. And everyone knows the book of business written the last two or three years has been pristine. So... Uh, we also have a story about FHA losing first-time homebuyer market share. That's by um, uh, the Campbell-Lewis Inside Mortgage Finance Survey that we do. That's from uh, our, our, one of our West Coast correspondents, or West Coast editor, I should say, Brandon Ivey. Yeah, uh, so that's interesting, but not surprising. I mean, everyone knew they, they raised premiums, and, you know, some of that business is going away. But the MI firms like... Uh, you know, Raiden and UGI, they're you know they're they're actually picking up some share. Uh, they're picking up yeah. share uh, in, in declining volume, but when you know volumes pick up, they're you know the MIs are you know sitting in the catbird uh, seat, so to speak. They are. Uh, we also have a story about more MSR deals out there. IMA uh, and Mountain View of packages. I know Phoenix is out there. All the servicing brokerage firms are out there with packages right now uh, of varying size. 
Uh, AEI has got a new report on um, uh, government-backed mortgages and then that the risk, they're looking riskier, but that's not surprising uh, when you look at, uh, you know, AEI has never been a big fan of Fannie, Freddie, and FHA, so uh, that's out there. And, you know, we, we have a follow-up to the ABS Vegas show. Brandon Ivey was out there for us. Uh, and, you know, they're talking about a lot of different things, including, um, you know, who's going to pay for compliance. QM is here. Servicing rules are here. Um you know, comp is here, loan comp. Uh, it's all here, and people want to know who's going to pay for all this compliance. And, and the bottom line is, well, who do you think? <laughs> Not the mortgage companies. You know, they pass it on to the consumer. You know, any business passes on their cost to the consumer, and that's, you know, it all rolls downhill, and the consumer's at the bottom of that hill, uh, and the consumer's going to pay for it. And that's, uh, you know, that's that's what what it's all about. So that's all the good stuff. It's uh, it's a, you know it's early in the week and there's already plenty of news out there. So um, you know well, we're busy be... and uh, all the other guys are busy as well. Well, it's a great website, folks, to be checking every day and get signed up for it. Uh, Paul does a great job along with John and uh, Brandon and the whole group. Charles, there's there's just a lot of great reporting here and uh, staying on top of it. I know how hard you work on it. Trust me, folks. I know how he beats on us. If he thinks we have any information he wants to know. He beats us to a pulp trying to get. I bring it. my rubber hose to the interviews. I know that. <laughs> you do. <laughs> brutal, brutal. Well, hopefully you can stay tuned. Where David Stevens is going to be talking. We've got the State of the Union address coming up this week, and David's got some commentary about that. We're going to lead off on that. So hopefully you can hang on and listen to some of that. You know, it's such a fascinating guy to talk to, and I'm so excited to have him and, of course, you on all the time. So greet the group there at. Uh, our friends at Inside Mortgage Finance, and be sure to check out the website, www.imfnews.com. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks, David. You betcha. Alice Alvey, you're here giving us an update on everything legislative. I got your notes here, and I know you're. we're all traveling. You're coming to Texas, and I'm going north. I don't blame you. We had nice 80-some degrees here this weekend. It was gorgeous, and now it's, you know, you'll be dragging the cold weather down here, Alice, so... Not exactly one. So, and I'm flying through Detroit this week. So uh, tomorrow night. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, it is about? crazy. I'm I'm headed out to San Angelo, Texas, and uh, I hear it's going to be in the 30s. But at least I'm leaving. We're supposed to hit wind chills in the 20 to 40 below. You know, between tonight and tomorrow. So I'm going where it's warmer okay. still. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Complain. So, yeah, we've got a lot going on. You know, right now we're really just uh, trying to survive QM and ability to repay and getting started with that. So I don't want to bombard everybody right now, but there are two important proposed rules you should be aware of. Um, one of them is FHA's proposed rule where comments are due February 10th. They're talking about really trying to give us some more guidance on the manual underwriting. And to me, this becomes a bigger and bigger deal if we talk to more companies trying to grapple with manual underwriting in general and what's allowed in QM. And keeping in mind that FHA is its own bucket, you know, if we can get some uh, guidelines that are very specific on how to go over a 43 DTI with an FHA, I think that actually gives FHA some uh, a little bit of leverage for a little more certainty, right? That one of the biggest problems with having a non-QM loan or trying to structure a non-QM product is, you know, no one knows what's going to work until somebody goes to court with it. So um, I think this is a worthwhile rule to make sure people respond to. 
um, show some interest in it because I think, again, the more certainty we get, the, the better when it comes to working with DTIs. Now, the other part of the rule is looking to add a one-month payment reserve to FHA loans. I think a lot of companies would like to see this, but I know of many who just teeter on the edge, you know, and they go with it. FHA is a zero reserve product, and that's been one of the benefits. Uh, so it does, you know, one month PITI can seem like an awful lot to a customer who you're just trying to figure out where the money's coming from clo for closing. Uh, so, you know, take a look at those, uh, but I think there's some good parts of this to be able to get us some uh, higher ratio guidance. Uh, then, also, there's also a proposed rule out there for establishing standards for having a diversity policy and practices, and that rule you have to have your comments in by February 7th, which, believe it or not, is really just a little over a week away. <laughs> so I can't believe, I know. So um, two big things to make sure you pay attention to. And then I thought, Dave, as we're seeing so many people implement QM, one of the things I wanted to give everyone a heads up is, where is your QC provider right now? Uh, we've been, obviously, it's uh, you know, Indicom Mortgage U. Yeah, we do, we do this service, but there are also many other great providers out there. And there's a lot of discussion about what a lender, what a, what a vendor, whether it's your own internal QC or you're using a third party, what they can't see in the file. And there's literally that we're looking at that potentially as a QC firm, you're going to have to go out and either have all your clients complete a pretty good-sized questionnaire on certain policies and procedures, or every single file is going to have to have all this new supplemental documentation to help us understand how you're doing things, why you're doing things, because, you know, QM has a lot of variables in it. I, I can give you one example of seller contributions. Everyone has a different way of, how they're going to validate how seller contributions are applied to the three-point test. Some people say, I'm not applying any of them. <laughs> I'm just always going to go conservative. <laughs> Others are saying, well, I'm going to send a disclosure, but it has to be signed prior to closing if it's going to change my three-point test. Others are saying, I'm having a disclosure signed every single time. You know, Others are going, what disclosure? <laughs> so, um, we, That's we, a stereo we one. Yeah, so you know, there there are when you sit down and you actually work through the weeds, there are many variables where uh QC vendors are saying, Do I now need to go through a full client engagement process to really understand how you do business? That'll help me audit your loans better or you're gonna to have to sign off on every single file saying, I don't uh I, I understand my QC company can't Whoops, I think I just saw Alice drop off the line. She's on her cell phone. It's one of those things that happens. Uh, folks, yeah, we'll wait for her to dial back in. I think she's getting close to the comments there. I think the, the, one of my favorite quotes, and I'm going to yeah, attribute to David Stevens, I was about ready to go on CNBC when I was in Miami, and I was scrambling. David, what do you got to say about you know uh, the industry right now that's giving a commentary about the general overall condition of housing and mortgage? industry and um, I, I, the, the quote he gave me it says there is too big to fail and now there's too small to comply what a brilliant comment and it was so applicable and these are some of the things when you hear the comment that Alice said made where they said what disclosure I mean I said look at this and they, these are things that are worrisome to me folks and that's why I'm so grateful that's why I say anyone listening to this broadcast you're leaders you pay attention to what's going on it's good to have you tuning in, and we'll wait for Alice to join back in here. There she is. I think that's Alice. She came back. Alice, do we have you back? 
Yes, I'm back. Sorry about, you know, you just never know sometimes. So it just drops. But anyway, yep. that was pretty much my summary. I just want everyone to realize that there is a new engagement process to consider in your QC, and uh, we're happy to help with you, uh, help you understand all the nuances in that. Because the last thing you want is, you know, your next, your first batch of um, January 10th applications, once they finally close, you get 35 new conditions, you know, in your QC report, or 35 new findings. You're just going, wait a minute, I paid all this money for QC checks throughout the loan process. What, what, why is post-closing QC coming up with new stuff? So uh, just a heads up, there, there's a lot to address there. Lots out there, lots of moving pieces. It's getting more and more complicated, but complication. Who, who was it? One of the guys I heard say at a speaker, I was speaking, it was one of the other keynote speakers that was at a conference says, complexity is our friend. When you look at the bottom line, I believe that's going to be the case. If for those that can work with this and work with companies like Alice are going to work through the complexities and do actually quite well, as, as, uh, as Paul said. You know, the, 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 the earnings are going to go up for those of us. Unfortunately, the consumers are going to be paying a little bit more, but Anyway, it's the way well, it is. There, there's absolute additional fees people need to think about. There's absolute additional costs that's going to happen in, in post-closing QC. There's no doubt about it. No question. Additional cost, but additional opportunity. Not a bad time to be in the mortgage industry. I'm bullish on the mortgage industry. I'm bullish on these opportunities here. We're getting rid of the ones that are the riffraff that can't comply to, and uh, or choose not to. I, I, but those that want to, there's no reason not to be able to comply when you have resources like Alice Alvey out there. Folks, stay tuned. We're going to be right back with David Stevens. Well, we got Tony Garitano coming up next, and then David Stevens on the Hot Topics segment. Be right back after this brief break. Looking for a full-service mortgage training and consulting company to fit exactly what you need? Mortgage U is your ultimate education and information resource used by lenders to execute high-impact, high-quality training throughout the organization. Mortgage U instructors are mortgage professionals, providing classroom and web-based delivery, and has the most sought-after training manuals in the country. Mortgage U has a proven track record, performing customized training programs for hundreds and even thousands of employees, both live and online, on everything from applications through loan delivery and insuring. Call Mortgage U today at 800-278-0200 or visit us online at mortgage-u.com. Welcome back to Lickin' on Lending. Our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's David Lickin'. Good to have you with us. I'm seeing Mary Kay's name out there. Have you guys want your name? A shout out on the radio? Just send me an email that says, hey, listen, looking for my number. Here's the number I'll be dialing in on. Love to add num- names to all the people that are dialed in, again, across the country. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks, and being a part of this broadcast. Tony Garitano, good to have you with us on the broadcast. And for those of you that are new to the broadcast, Tony is with Progress and Lenny. He brings us updates on what's going on in technology. You're one of the guys that's dialed in on technology more than anyone else. Tony, good to have you on the broadcast. Good to be here. Thanks for having me, Dave. You're the only guy that had to go out and buy your own power generator. You're, I mean, you have so many contingencies for the weather up there. <laughs> and then we found out or just on the pre-show that David Stevens grew up in your hometown. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's very interesting. So anyway, let's talk about technology. What technology? Question leading off. In 2014, what is the does what technology does every lender need? Well, I think it's a great question, Dave, and, and I did want to uh, talk a little bit in, in conjunction with the question about the MBA Technology Conference. Um, it's coming up March 18th to the 21st, and it's in Los Angeles, California this year. 
They're doing it at the JW Marriott. And the reason why I bring it up in conjunction with this particular question is for me, you know, as someone who's really dedicated to mortgage technology, this is the, for me, it's the biggest show of the year. I think that every lender that is looking for technology, every technology vendor that has a a new offering or, you know, a solid offering um, should go to the show and check it out and really use it as an opportunity to talk about how technology can help, you know, the industry move forward because there's a lot of great people there. And I hope attendance continues to rise this year because, you know, it's always one of those shows that I look forward to. There's a lot of great information. I try to make it every year. It's like the Comdex of, uh, for the mortgage industry, the Comdex, which is an electronic show for everything new. It, it is. A lot of news releases happen, a lot of things going on, and we're going to see continued consolidation in there. But I'm interested in this. What technology is catching on? It's not always is the one that you would predict, Tony. So what technology is catching on? Well, you know, I mean, in conjunction with the with the last question and with this one, Dave, I think, you know, the – especially, you know, alluding to our weather here in Connecticut, which has been really cold. Um, You know, disaster recovery uh, technology, I think, is something that, you know, every lender needs to have. Um, We talk a lot about QM and compliance, and certainly, you know, there's no arguing that you need those technologies. But you need to be prepared for a disaster. You have to be able to secure your data. You have to be able to secure your files, your information, whether it's at rest or in motion. And I think that that is only going to be an even bigger need as we go forward. Um, And in 2014, the technology that I thought was catching on was paperless. Um, Yeah. You know, as you know, both you and I have been talking about this, you know, for the the better part of 20 years. But um, I think the new compliance issues speak to the need for paperless processing. And, you know, I just got a release this morning from Capsalon. They're a a paperless vendor, and their revenues are up. Their client base is up. You know, they're releasing new products. They're doing acquisitions. You know, we talked a little bit about M&A stuff earlier on. And, you know, I think that that's probably indicative of all of the vendors in that space. They're, They're doing very well because lenders are starting to realize that they need that technology in order to comply with these new rules, and it's improving the process. It's going to be interesting that how we stay on top of all this. Most of them are on a service as uh, as needed or as as, as provided, uh, the, SAS, the SAS model. And uh, I always blow that. Give me that acronym again. It is Software as a Service, which is SAS. SAS, thank you. <laughs> yep. All right. So anyway, but I'm always interested in the revenue model. But, I mean, that's why I think we're seeing some of the consolidation within the technology sector. But it's also refreshing to know that. So, folks, check out the MBA conference. Tony will be there. He's always around. And it's great to grab him and just get his attention on it. Check out also Tony's website, progressandlending.com, www.progressandlending.com. has a very innovative new publication out that I, I mean, I've not seen anything anyone else doing it quite like this. You've got the, you interview and have audio files attached to, to the magazine for those of us that are writing with you. Very, very innovative. And quick pitch on that so people know how to get a hold of that, Tony. Sure. It's, um, everything is on progressandlending.com. As you mentioned, Dave, it's all completely free. 
We did just update our website so that it is completely responsive, which means that you can view everything on any mobile device. And the publication that you're talking about, we just launched in October. It's called Today's Lending Insight. We are very grateful that you write for us every month. Um, And it's really a newspaper, but it's a newspaper told in the first person by industry insiders that takes you behind the news. So you get the news from a lot of other services, and then we hope that you'll come to this new newspaper to hear why people in the industry think that the news is significant and how you can use it to grow your business. So, um, And that's Good called stuff, today's yeah. Lending Insight newspaper. Good stuff. Thank you, Tony, so much for being with us. Appreciate you. Have a great week. Shovel some more snow. I don't think you're done <laughs> shoveling snow up there, my friend. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> more to come. More to come. Yeah, that's the way it is. That's what we have more to come with the radio program. The Prophet Doctor isn't with us. He's out with a client. He sends his greetings to everybody. And also, we're in the midday. He is right in the midst of doing a the counting webinar through the Campus MBA. He's in his third session. Lots of comments, good feedback on that. If you haven't signed up for it, it's not too late. Check out Campus MBA, the accounting webinar, and it's a raging success. I think it's the fourth time he's done it, backed by popular demand. And you can sign up for any one of the sessions or all of them. Check it out at Campus MBA's website. Folks, we'll be right back after this brief break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact our Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. We're thrilled and honored to have David Stevens as our guest today. David doesn't need much of an introduction. He's president of the Mortgage Bankers Association and obviously a tremendous leader. For those of you that are listening via the website, you see right after the picture, somewhere in that mix, we put the 2000, the road ahead, 2014, and also leadership. David is providing the needed and necessary leadership both up front and out there and also behind the scenes. And we're very honored to have you with us, David. Good to have – I know how busy your schedule is, um, <laughs> but it's good to have you with us, David. Always good to be with you, David. And all this time I thought you were you know, were in Colorado. You and I both spent some time in Aspen together, different – you know, you're a lot younger than I am, so different seasons, but different time frames. But uh, but then I find out you grew up. You're you're, you're from the Northeast, so and, that's, and that's Tony's right. hometown. So so you're used to snow. That's right. And you're heading off to the Super Bowl. So for those of us that are friends with you on Facebook, we're looking and expecting a lot of fo- Facebook posts. Uh, oh yeah, uh, focused on the yeah. Broncos. 
focused on the well, I'm focused on the Seahawks from being from Seattle, starting good out there. So we'll have some good we'll have some good Facebook battles back good. and forth. And I loved your comment about Sherman uh, after his you know crazy comment on the uh, on ESPN with. Uh, uh, so anyway, but we won't get to football. But anyway, there's a lot to talk about. I want to give a shout out to your wife. She's always one of those people, Dave. Is that I, I love celebrating couples that have just got great marriages, and I thank you for your leadership personally as well as professionally to the industry. You're a great example, both of you. And some say you're a great-looking couple, but they say beauty is skin deep. Thank God there's a lot of wisdom and talent beyond just the great-looking couple that you guys have. I mean, it's, I really mean that sincerely. don't mean to bush, but I mean, I, we, I, I think when we get those opportunities, to get someone a shout on it. Let's talk about the State of the Union. I'd like to go there right now. You were a part of this cabinet. You're part of this administration. You're very close to them. You are working behind the scenes, and I suspect, David, you might be having just a little bit of input on what we might hear if there's anything from housing we hope we do any comments about the state of the union yeah well so first of all um you know keep in mind that this stuff stays on the cutting board to the 11th hour and the president oh, yeah. uh you know your goal is with all the stakeholders is and and our goal has always been to get a mention of, about mortgages or real estate in a speech and for the first several state of the unions he didn't even talk mention it uh quite frankly because the news was so bad I do expect him to talk about housing in this speech, and I expect him to focus on three subjects. One is, um, you know, that the recovery is one of the strong parts of the housing recovery is one of the strong parts of the broader U.S. economy's recovery. Uh, but I do expect him to lean into sort of a concern about uh, credit availability and whether certain things have gone too far and whether some families are being left in the shadows of the recovery. So look for some comment in that regard. Second, I expect him to talk about that the economy, the recovery in the economy and the housing economy has been broad and hit, you know, most metropolitan areas and most communities across the country, but not all of them. And some of them are uh, having a more difficult time to recover. And uh, I think he'll focus on, you know, opportunities to try to focus on on those communities. So, um, you know, I think I think that'll be kind of a key cornerstone. Second one and third, I do expect him at least at this point, uh, at this time of today, a day before his speech, yeah. I believe that some mention of GSC reform uh, and the need to get a you know long-term solution for housing finance has got to be done. And so I think we'll see a, a an affirmative uh, you know commitment from the administration to try to get involved uh, more aggressively in the in the months ahead. Well, no question, Mel Watts made a significant contribution. Uh, I was just. <laughs> Blown away by DeMarco's swan song by adding the overlays that he had. It just, I mean, I was a fan of the guy right up until that moment. I'm going, what are you thinking? And thank God uh, Mel Watts came in and struck those down, or at least has temporarily suspended doing anything with yes. those. Any insights? Are we going to see those come back? I mean, you're, you're close to Mel. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't expect those to come back. I think, um, you know, I think you have two different motives from two very different people. And, and I think Mel is going to view his role as head of the FHFA in a much broader sense, not just as conservator with the desire to reduce their footprint and bring in private capital. I think he's also going to be looking at his role as as sort of a steward to ensure that there's enough liquidity in the housing finance system going forward. And obviously the FHFA and the GSCs are critical to that. I would add, David, look who Mel has hired. I know there's been a lot of speculation about Mel's coming into the job by many in the industry. A lot of people don't know who he is. I had the opportunity to work with him uh, uh, fairly significantly in my time in the administration. But I, I would tell you, he brought in Bob Ryan. Um, Bob is an outstanding executive, Solid. knows our industry, comes from the industry, came with me yep. into HUD. I brought him in personally, and he's going to be a senior advisor. Bob knows this business. He knows what everybody in this phone does for a living. 
Um, and I think it's that kind of, uh, of personnel selection that Mel has made, which is a reflection on the fact that, that we don't have some, you know, don't expect radical moves out of this guy. I think it's going to be very focused on uh, on having an, uh, whatever steps happen, making sure they're smooth, that it doesn't impair uh, opportunity for people to buy homes uh, on a go-forward basis. Well, let's get into what your outlook is for 2014 and for the housing market and how the impacts on the mortgage industry. Well, you know, needless to say, I don't have to tell anybody who's uh, listening what's happening in the mortgage industry. It's as we predicted. Um, yep. You know, as as quantitative easing ends, and granted, we've seen some rate improvements as uh, uh, as we were just talking about, as Joe was talking about yep. a little while ago. Um, you know, our forecast is for the overall mortgage market to drop from uh, about 1.8 trillion dollars in 2013 to about 1. $2 trillion, just a little under in 2014. That's a 34% overall drop. And, and behind the numbers there is actually a 9% increase in purchase volume from about 650 to maybe 710 or so uh, billions uh, of originations on purchases. But the real story being, you know, almost a 60% drop in refinance volume from 1.1 trillion down to 460. And, you know, the story behind that is, even with rates keeping themselves low, you're going to burn out, you know, the current coupons that everybody's been refinancing into. Eventually, you just, you know, that end of the of the of the maze, as it were, uh, you know, runs dry, and there's just not enough business to be had there anymore. So, you know, we we are in a shift. We expect this to be long term. Um, it will sustain for a number of years. It's going to cause, you know, very significant changes in in business models uh, and marketing efforts as we as we move forward. What will be the biggest change in the housing market from 2013, David? Well, you know, I, I, David, we were talking about this question earlier. I, I think, you know, 2014 uh, in terms of the housing market is more of the same. You know, continued growth in new home building. Uh, I think home building stocks people should be bullish on as the market has been for some time. Improvements overall in the economy, which likely puts continued upward pressure on interest rates. We we actually have a forecast of interest rates continuing continuing to rise, uh, maybe another 100 basis points by the end of 14 uh, as the economy recovers. And so, you know, I think for the housing market, it's relatively bullish. And those lenders uh, that are good at purchase transactions and have built those relationships over the past couple of years are going to fare very well. I think the um, the impact to the mortgage market, however, is going to be very different. Those, those institutions that were predominated uh, with – refinancing as the core fundamental uh, value proposition over the last couple of years are going to have to go out and build relationships. One thing that our data shows, which is very interesting, is that you know, actually there was a big shift in uh, dominance in the purchase market over the last year, moving from large institutions to smaller and independent mortgage banking firms, uh, which really focused on purchase dynamics while the bigger institutions were doing harp refinancing and that kind of thing. That's going to work well for those companies in terms of being well positioned going forward. So we're going to see uneven impacts. Um, uneven, some companies yeah. are going to yeah, some companies will feel the impact greater than others as we go through this sort of uh, right-sizing of the marketplace. 
And I'm encouraged by Mel, your comments about Mel Watt keeping you know, the liquidity going. His mission will be more of a broader perspective rather than just conservatorship. Let's talk about the various parts of the country that we're certainly seeing a regionalized recovery. We're watching inventory, housing inventories, you know, and still not growing in many parts of the really hotter markets. And we're seeing double digits. I mean, I was reading a, you know, I was talking before the broadcast. I'm a podcast uh, weekend podcast junkie, listening about the growth in some parts, and yet. We're, we're seeing other parts uh, of the country being relatively neutral. What areas of the country will have the biggest improvement, and also which ones are going to be probably the most stagnant? Yeah, so I, you know, there's the, we could break this down in a whole variety of ways. I'm just going to go very broad. So we're looking at we, we expect um, you know roughly a continuing of somewhere between the seven and nine percent home price appreciation range that we saw last year nationally. Last year. Uh, we look, we're looking at about a 9% uh, overall U.S. home price appreciation from the same period right. in 2012 to 13. The stronger markets are Pacific region is, is actually very strong. Now, you, when you talk about the Pacific region, you have to exclude areas um, that where there, there are some you know, inland areas of California, et cetera, et cetera, where we have some other dynamics going on like massive drops in FHA limits, which may suddenly impair financing uh, access in some of those communities. But the Pacific uh, region, the mountain region, Mount West region is going to be um, stronger. And we actually believe that areas like New England, uh, the Mid-Atlantic, while there's going to be growth, it's going to be uh, more in the low single digits, not in the, the high single digits or near teens that we could see in some of the other markets. So it is going to be um, it is going to show lumpiness in terms of the recovery. I would emphasize that um, you know there are some judicial states that still have a lot of backed-up inventory. Uh, New York is a classic example of that, where we're going to see much higher foreclosure, uh, actual foreclosures in New York than we will see in a state like Arizona, which is uh, not a judicial state. And the unfortunate reality is as now that they're getting through their foreclosure problems and going to address them in the next year, that has an actually depressing effect on what would otherwise be a naturally rising state of home prices simply because foreclosed properties sell at a discount, as you well know, of anywhere from 10 to uh, maybe upwards of 30% depending on market conditions. I've hogged the mic long enough. I'm going to toss it over to Joe and Alice, let them get some questions in here. We've got about 14 minutes uh, before we have to shut down, probably about 12 minutes here to go. So, Joe? All right. Uh, Dave, you mentioned that President Obama may mention credit availability. You know, just, just how big an issue is credit credit availability and do you see it getting tighter or easier well you know joe this is um this is one of those topics that depending on who you are and where you work in this housing system you're either feeling it or you're not and uh there was a twitter debate i was going that was going on this weekend nick timoros was involved in it and uh several mortgage professionals were involved in it and some don't feel the the credit tightening, in fact, they think that the market's just fine. And, you know, my answer is if you're in Irvine, California, or you market in San Francisco, where you have generally a higher net worth borrower, home price appreciation is strong, there's no adverse market fees, you're not impacted really in any significant way by the FHA pullback, you're not feeling it. But I, I, I would say, and let's just take the FHA loan limit example uh, that I've been referencing a couple times. Salt Lake City, because of the change in the in the uh, loan limits, has a 58% drop in the maximum loan limit allowed by FHA as a result of the table change. Bakersfield, California is 55%. Uh, 
Uh, Hanford, Corcoran, California is 56%, 67% of Merced. And, and so, you know, we're talking about communities where you have higher, higher dominance of minority borrowers in many of these communities, um, inherited wealth, uh, or down payment aggregation is is much less available for families that don't have mom and dad to help them with the down payment or don't have high amounts of disposable income after they make the rent payments. And then when you eliminate the FHA program and cut it back so dramatically, you know, you're now stuck with the only option being a conventional loan, and that has comes with it uh, loan level price adjusters dependent on your credit uh, score. Uh, and they certainly don't allow the the extremely low down payment of an FHA, so you are impacting the market. And so I, I we believe, and as do many consumer advocates, that uh, the credit tightening is on the margin, but it's somewhere between. Since QM has gone into effect, we expect it to impact somewhere between five and seven percent of total market. And as I said, you know, if you're in Wilton, Connecticut, <laughs> which is uh, a town I grew up in, Fairfield County, it doesn't you don't feel it. Um, because wealthy, well-heeled buyers are going to get a mortgage regardless of, of these conditions. It's really where uh, the middle income and lower middle income, otherwise qualified families may be cut out simply because of uh, credit score limitations, high loan level price adjusters that make it more difficult, fear from lenders with self-employed borrowers to maybe take the full amount of what they think is in their tax returns and maybe put some haircut on there so they don't violate QM. Those kinds of, 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 of variables which are going to layer onto each other are likely to make uh, lenders a little more um, risk-averse, particularly when it comes to borrowers who would you know, theoretically be on the margin. Right. Alice? Well, let's, uh, can we switch back to Washington a little bit? You know, um, I know we, we've touched a little bit already on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac uh, needing to, you know, be maybe Congress will pick that up. And, you know, we know we've got QRM is still hanging out there. Is there anything we should be watching for in terms of uh, QRM this year or any other new regulations that we have to be careful of? Yes. So, uh, yes, um, is, the, is the easy answer. You know, it's funny because we all been, we've all been focused on. Excuse me, uh, I just dropped the phone. Could you repeat that? I'm trying to find What is the price? Well, let, let me just let me let me try to quickly let me try to quickly sort of give the the the, the playing field assessment here. So QM, which was sort of our Y2K for our industry, right. is out in the marketplace. There are going to be changes to the qualified mortgage rule. You know, no rule is ever final, and I know for a fact the CFPB is is already discussing changes to be made, even at its basic. Uh, level, making sure they give written comments so that the confusion on some of the oral guidance that's been delivered doesn't call a tightness in credit, but putting out some right-to-cure language so that if something's found, you have the ability to cure it, you're not suddenly at risk of a lawsuit for violating QM. But I think also, I think the 43 DTI, I think points and fees, I think all of those kinds of things are going to have a high likelihood of being modified to some degree to make sure we're not cutting out otherwise well-qualified borrowers. So you got that at its core. QRM, the only reason QRM's not done with the uh, primary recommendation of the most recent reproposal, which would be QRM equals QM, uh, is that it's not, there's not a unanimous consent amongst the six regulators in favor, and they asked for some comments. They're studying those comments. Uh, as of you know, last look, and this is last week, and talking to the regulators involved, we still believe that the final rule will prevail 
uh, as was recommended, where QRM equals QM, and we're certainly going to be on top of that. We'll notify everybody if, if there's a risk of that going the wrong way. But we don't expect any additional overlays in a final QRM rule beyond what was uh, in the primary recommendation of the reproposal. So, you, you know, those two things are out there. I think GSE reform is absolutely going to take a much uh, more aggressive posture in the first quarter of the year. Uh, the one thing I would just tell all, everybody who doesn't uh, pay attention to Washington, nor should you, by the way, because it's a crazy <laughs> town, is um, this is the, mid the midterm re-elections are coming up, and there's going to be a holy war for control of the Senate uh, and to gain or uh, protect seats in the House from both parties. Uh, and so the silly season kicks in somewhere in the second quarter. And that means that any opportunity to even um, admit good legislation in the Senate Banking Committee, which is where it's going to happen on GSC mm -hmm. reform, has to get done, I'd say by the end of March, some say President's Day, I think it can go a little longer this phase, uh, and that we, we have a chance of maybe seeing some debate in the Senate Banking Committee if the leadership introduces a bill, which we know they're working on now. We know there's language in writing that they're going back and forth on um, and so that's the one possibility in GSC reform. And then don't forget, we have RESPA, TILA, new forms coming. Right. Um, and all of that's going to uh, come our way as well, and there'll be some discussions on, on, on that side. And as you've discussed, you know, we're still talking about FHA. Um, In-dem rules, uh, I think there'll be a rep and warrant rule discussion or policy discussion coming out of FHFA. And so there'll be no ending, you know, no short list of actually, actually fairly significant, sizable issues, any one of them, that we're all going to be um, dealing with on, you know, a more than full-time basis here. Right, but it sounds like a lot on our rules line, if we can count on Congress kind of paying attention to other things for the second half of the year, maybe uh, at least they don't come up with any crazy schemes we have to pay attention to unnecessarily, hopefully. Well, that's right. And, as, and, and I think, as we all know, Congress is not of one head, right? So they can barely, right. you know, they have difficulty dealing with a debt ceiling or a budget. Um, and when you think of, you know, immigration is going to be a major issue they have to deal with. And GSE reform is actually bubbling up now to be a top five issue that Congress has to deal with. The House and the Senate are so far apart from each other. And quite frankly, even conservative House Republicans are so far apart from Senate Republicans on that on that GSC reform issue that, you know, our our hope is that the most common sense piece of legislation is likely to come in the Senate side and most likely through the committee, the banking committee. Uh, and if they keep it bipartisan and can keep working together on it uh, with transparency so that we all can participate in helping to make sure we get this right, there's a possibility of of doing this in a way that doesn't um, destroy you know, what is right now an actually fairly well-functioning system. Joe, I'll pass it over to you. I know you had some questions on yeah, that. Yeah, I was just going to follow up with that. Do you see any changes, any significant changes to the secondary market in the next 12 months? No, uh, yeah. not at all. In fact, I will tell you that my, my expectation is even if there were a bill, and let's say they were to get it through, the bill language will require a new regulator to be established. And when the regulator is established, then they'll develop a five-year transition plan to whatever the new system is. And it will it'll be hardwired into the language itself to ensure very smooth transitions, very slow transitions. So, um, you know, I think the greatest impact of the secondary market, quite frankly, uh, from, you know, availability of financing and interest rates is more going to be compounded by quantitative easing and what happens in China. And, uh, if 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 the appetite for uh, other investors to buy mortgage-backed securities doesn't fill the void uh, left by the Fed, 
you know, that's where we're going to see sort of all the concerning events that we worry about in terms of, right. you know, uh, too, too, the moves happening too quickly in the interest rate market. Right. Well, uh, real quickly, do you see private capital coming in in, in a bigger way in, in the year? Yeah, so um, – you know, we 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 think there are ways to bring private capital back in the market. If anybody hasn't seen Michael Stegman's speech, he gave it at the SFIG conference in uh, Nevada last week. Uh, Michael Stegman is a senior advisor to Jack Lew, who's the Treasury Secretary. It was a very important speech. You can pull it down off the internet. So just Google Michael Stegman, SFIG, S-F-I-G, uh, speech, and you'll be able to find it. But he explicitly talks about transition steps that can happen now without legislation. Quite frankly, they mirror our paper that we put out um, almost a year ago at this point. And so the two areas that I know uh, administration officials as well as many of the regulators and we are all focused on that can be done, one of which is to resolve the uh, PCMB, the problem with the Freddie Mac security selling at such a discount to the Fannie Mae security. Uh, but the other is to bring private capital in and lower taxpayer risk by promoting greater us upfront risk sharing models that would, quite frankly, utilize mortgage insurers, lower the attachment point, as it were, from a Freddie Mac Fannie Mae loan where you get MI over 80 LTV, maybe provide opportunities to drop it down to getting mortgage insurance over 50% loan to value, uh, and then getting a a commensurate guarantee fee reduction from the GSEs because right. their risk has now dropped so dramatically, and then get the MIs competing for the business with all of the lenders in the marketplace, we think it would bring much greater tra price transparency. Quite frankly, probably would bring lower rates for consumers uh, than how things are being done today. Um, and you know that's a way also to reduce taxpayer exposure uh, and literally bring private capital up to the front end of the marketplace without having to do a single piece of legislation moving forward. Michael talked about it in his speech last week. We've obviously been talking about it uh, very actively, and we think there's some great opportunity there. Yeah. Alice? Hey. Yeah, I just had one. You know, what about the CFPB? Um, yeah, I'd like to hear a little bit about <laughs> you know, I wanted you to uh, ask that's your, that's your hot topic. I, I just want to kind of see, you know, if, if, what are you hearing in terms of audits? Should lenders really be as afraid as some of the attorneys are telling them they should be? <laughs> well, it depends which attorney. Um, right, I've heard, right. I've heard a variety of them. Uh, and, you know, it's it's interesting as we look forward, the um, this technology conference, which we were just referencing, which is in Los Angeles, March 18th through 21, that actually is combined with our National Fraud Issues Conference. And there'll be a lot of attorneys in that. At the same dates, the two conferences happen si uh, simultaneously at the same location. Um, so you, you get an extra little bang for your buck by attending that because there'll be a lot of attorneys talking about managing fraud concerns, and that's really ultimately what, what we, this comes down to. Um, I think there is reason to be concerned. I think those that are thinking this is business as usual, I hear a lot of lenders saying, I'm doing non-QMs. You know, it's only going to take a lawsuit for uh, suddenly the entire environment to, pu to pucker yeah. up, as it were. Uh, we saw it in the repurchase mark, uh, space in lending over the last five years when, you know, when the first pile of repurchases started coming back, suddenly everybody started raising their FICO minimums and putting overlays in place. In this case, you know, one bad lawsuit can be fairly dramatic in terms of its expense and could literally put a small lender out of business um, on its own if it includes the damages under a QM violation. I do expect increased uh, scrutiny from the CFPB, a, a continued investment um, in personnel. 
uh, to do audits. Um, I mean, I think the good news is so far is none of us have seen any really, you know, dramatic, overly aggressive, prejudicial outcomes. Uh, we've had concerns over some of the stories we've been reading about on some of the, the um, uh, findings that have happened with a few institutions. But, you know, generally speaking, I have found personally the CFPB to be fairly measured in terms of how they're dealing with this. Yes. The, the, the risk we run is on a go-forward basis. They're going to shift a lot of their internal focus from getting these rules out to enforcing them. And I think, you know, we're now moving from um, uh, rule implementation to to rules management, and it's under the rules management structure that I think we're going to potentially expose the industry uh, to the greatest risk. That's why the point you made earlier is making sure you have third-party compliance uh, companies helping to provide you advice and counsel and oversight, making sure you have the right processes in place, making sure you're doing explicit reviews on a monthly basis. I mean, all of this is going to be really critical to, to surviving the next round. So true. The drums in the background say we're almost we are out of time. I want to give a quick shout out to the MBA's efforts of Mortgage Action Alliance. We don't have time to get into it, but others say, folks, go to the site, check it out. David, thank you so much for taking time to be a part of the broadcast today. There was so much information. We've got to get Mike Frattentoni on here to get some more economic data and uh, get him on here. And again, as we've watched Jay Brinkman go off into the sunset, enjoy some retirement That's right. years. David, thank you so much. Greetings to all you all. Thank you for the – there we go. Texas came out, all you all. Thank you so much for everyone tuning into the broadcast, and I look forward to seeing you back here next week. Have a great week, everybody. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening.